from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. The D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible brings Dr. Kennedy's unparalleled commentary alongside the text of Scripture to make clear the foundational doctrines of the faith. Bound in genuine leather, this powerful tool for study and instruction includes over 700 notes and articles from Dr. Kennedy to answer timely questions regarding what God's Word has to say about major issues like political engagement, sexuality, and even socialism. In the D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible, we have in a single volume so many of his richest insights. Contact us today to receive your D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible. Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Imagine a scenario where a salesman is trying to sell a product that nobody really wants or needs. This fictional product does not work and will assuredly make the life of the customer much worse. How does the salesman go about making the sale? Some devious salesmen have discovered the answer to this question. You simply dress it up and disguise it as something more appealing. Well, that is exactly what is going on in America today. And what, you might ask, is the product being sold? Well, it's socialism. Someone once said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Even though socialism clearly has a historical track record of failure and destruction, there are still those today who are continually peddling these awful ideas as if they will finally magically work this time. And they often peddle these ideas to the naive youth of America. Even though it might sound like a good idea, why doesn't socialism work? And even more importantly, what does the Bible teach about it? Here now is Dr. D. James Kennedy in his message, The Bankruptcy of Socialism. And now may we hear the Word of God as it's found in the fourth and fifth chapters of the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, beginning with chapter 4, verse 34. May we hear carefully God's Word. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But... 
a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. And may God speak to us today through these same words, and accomplish his good purpose in our lives as well. Amen. There is no doubt that our nation today, as a nation, is adrift. We are like a ship without a rudder, a compass, or even a goal. We don't know which way to head, or even which way is which way, because we have turned away from the Word of God and from the scriptures, and from the instructions that the founders of this nation and our fathers believed in and looked to, and upon which they built this great country. As John Quincy Adams says, that the genius of the American Revolution is that we united in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity. But that bond is being increasingly severed in our time, and so we are adrift. We are lost. We don't know why we're having the problems that we're having. Though we have seen the greatest experiment in socialism in the history of the world in the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics come to a disastrous end, crash in flames and burn, and bring utter disaster and bankruptcy to that nation, and perhaps famine, still socialism is alive, though not well, in America. And I think that one of the great lessons that we need to learn from the events of this past year is that it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the Soviet Union, it doesn't work in Poland, it doesn't work in East Germany, it doesn't work in Cuba, it doesn't work in China, and it doesn't work in America. What is it going to take to wake us up to that fact? Well, we use other names for it. We call it the 
welfare state, a benevolent government, but it's the same thing regardless of what you call it. In 1830, de Tocqueville came here from France and wrote his famous book, Democracy in America, and he said, quote, America will last until the populace discovers I hope all of you know the end of that sentence. America will last until the populace discovers that it can vote for itself largesse out of the public treasury. The government doesn't have any money that it doesn't take from you. And that's something that many people just don't seem to understand. Russ Walton put it, put it very well when he said, government is not a producer, it is a taker, a taxer, and a spender. Every dollar spent by the public sector is a dollar the government must take from the private sector, from the workers and earners and investors. The dollar taken by the government cannot be spent or invested by that productive private section. America will last until the populace discovers it can vote for itself largesse out of the public treasury. But, you know, these things are so benevolent-sounding and they, they sound so Christian that we're trying to help people. And it's always that good intentions on the part of some politicians or bureaucrats that leads us into this disaster. But the thing that we need to understand is that the federal government is extraordinarily wasteful and extraordinarily inefficient and also that it creates far more problems than it helps. Professor Thomas Sowell said this, that the amount of money necessary to lift every man, woman, and child in America above the poverty line is one-third of what we are currently spending. But because of the incredible wastefulness of the federal government, what we do, he says, is simply find that the money ends up in the pockets of highly paid administrators, consultants, and staff. That's why the two bedroom counties to Washington, D.C., one in Virginia, one in Maryland, have the highest per capita income in America today. Government is extraordinarily inefficient and generally makes things worse. We find a problem, usually the government has had a part in creating it, and we decide the government is going to do something to solve it. So the government gets involved and the problem becomes ten times worse. Well, but people say, but yes, but nevertheless, that's what the Bible says we ought to be doing. We should be concerned about helping other people, absolutely. But we're not doing it in the way that we're trying to do it. We're hurting the people, putting people out of work, destroying their families, destroying children, all sorts of ghastly things, as the Soviet Union has found out to their great regret and as we are moving down that road. Does the Bible teach socialism? What is socialism? It is either that the government owns the means of production or controls the means of production and distribution. Well, does the Bible teach that? 
All sorts of liberal clergymen say that it does. And keep in mind that a liberal today politically, and that term changes over the years, but today what it means for the most part, with some exceptions, is a secular humanist socialist. It's this mindset that is the liberal mind and politics today. It's the same mindset that destroyed the communist world that is at work in America. And for the liberal clerics, it's the same mindset with a thin veneer of Christianity speared over it. And they've been saying for years, we must abandon our free enterprise system and we must adopt socialism because the Bible says so. Now, ordinarily, they don't care a thing about what the Bible says about much of anything else, but they get very biblical at this point. But what does the Bible say? Take the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. For 200 years, theologians have been, for 2,000 years, rather, theologians have been saying that that is a guarantee by God of private property. God knows that we need that property in order that we might exercise our stewardship, that we might be good stewards of God. As John Wesley said, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. And if we would do all three of those, we would find that our society would flourish indeed. The Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet anything that is your neighbor's. It's his. It is your neighbor's. It belongs to him. You're neither to steal it nor even to covet it. And again, a guarantee of private property. But then they go to the passage that we read today, Acts 4 and 5. And they say, you see here, shows that in the early church what they practiced was socialism. Well, is that true? It might seem to some that it, that it is. And certainly it has been trumpeted that it was. But I believe that a close look at that passage will reveal that not only is it not socialism, but it is antithetical to socialism completely. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 5. You remember that Barnabas had sold a piece of property and brought the money and given it to the apostles, and then Ananias and Sapphira decided to emulate him, or at least partially. They sold a piece of property, kept back a part of it, told the disciples that they had sold it for more, and then gave it to them. And Peter said to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? There you have an apostolic confirmation of the right of private property. It was your own. And after you sold it, was it not still in thy power that not only the property and the means of production, but the results of that production were in his power, not in the power or the hands of the state? So a second blast against the doctrines of socialism. Furthermore, you'll notice thirdly that they did it voluntarily. The apostles never told them to do this, nor was it ever repeated anywhere else. But out of the joy and the enthusiasm of the Spirit of God filling their hearts, they wanted to do it. It was voluntary. So coercion was not there, and that is indispensable to all modern forms of state socialism. Charles Hodge, the great Princeton theologian, said, Heaven is not higher than hell than was the early voluntary experiment of the Christians in communal living from the modern, any form of modern state socialism. And fourthly, you notice that they brought the money and they laid it at the feet 
of, of Caesar, Pontius Pilate. No, they laid it at the feet of the apostles. The apostles! How appalling would Mark say. Give the money to the church? Why, it's unthinkable. It is the state that must have the power because the state is God and the state will be the provident provider for the needs of people so they will worship the state. But they gave the money to the church. Every socialist in the world would roll over in his grave at the sound of those words. No, my friends, this is a tremendous broadside against the ship of state of socialism. And all of their basic premises are demolished right here in what they consider the biblical citadel that supposedly teaches socialism. The truth is, it teaches the very opposite of it. And therefore, it is not biblical doctrine that we should be practicing socialism. Again, to quote Hodge from Princeton, the conditions of the success of this plan on any large scale cannot be found on earth. It supposes that men will labor as assiduously without the stimulus of the desire to improve their condition or to secure the welfare of their families as they will with it. It supposes absolute disinterestedness on the part of the more wealthy, the stronger, the more able members of the community. They must be willing to forgo all personal advantages from their superior endowments. It supposes perfect integrity on the part of the distributors of the common fund and a spirit of moderation and containment in each, contentment in each member of the community to be satisfied with what others and not they themselves may think to be their equitable shares. The attempt to introduce a general community of goods in the present state of the world instead of elevating the poor would reduce the whole mass of society to a common level of barbarism and poverty. And Charles Hodge said that at Princeton over a hundred years ago because his eyesight was strengthened by the teachings of the Word of God. And as we have gotten away from that Word, we have found ourselves more and more wandering in the desert. We need to realize, my friends, what lessons God would be teaching us. We need to stand up and say, we have had enough of this. Look what atheism has produced in other parts of the world. We don't want it here. We want the religious freedom that our founders gave to us. We don't want this socialistic mess of pottage that you're trying to force on us. We want the free enterprise system that the founders of this country gave to us, which made America the strongest and the most bountiful and plentiful nation that the world had ever seen, and which is now making other nations who have copied it the same or even more so as we turn our backs upon it. As Edmund Opitz said, poverty in a society is overcome by productivity and in no other way. There is no political alchemy which can transmute diminished production into increased consumption. And the more money and a trillion, four hundred billion is an awful lot of money that is taken out of the private sector, the more poverty there is going to be. It's only the private sector that can produce productive jobs and increase productivity. We often hear that the politicians are just buying our votes by taxing and giving us more things, giving us more things that they take the money from from ourselves. 
That's true. But why are they doing that? Because when they try to be responsible and when they try to restrain government spending, we vote them right out of office. The problem was with our own hearts, our own greed, our own desire for something for nothing, for more and more and more for the, from the government trough. That's the problem, and that's why the politicians act that way. I'll tell you this. If your eyes were open and you saw the colossal wastefulness, you saw the mounting federal debt which is going to be disastrous, you saw the inefficiency and ineffectiveness of these government programs, and you know that they don't work and they create more problems than they solve, when a politician tells you that he's going to tax more and spend more, he wouldn't get your vote. May God, through the truth of his word, open our eyes and change our hearts that we might trust in the living God and follow his principles. And my friends, unless we trust in Christ as our Savior, unless we know that his Father has promised to provide all of our needs out of his riches and glory, we're going to continue to look to a provident state and we're going to move more and more into despotism and socialistic tyranny and economic ruin in this country. May we take the lessons of this past year and build on them and say, no more. We want true religious liberty and we want true financial liberty as well. And we want the government off our backs. And God will bless this nation as he's never done before. May we pray. Father, let us have eyes to see the lessons that are writ large for us on the wall of life. And let us learn from the things of this past year and not wander as blind, dumb sheep, not knowing where we're going and why things are happening to us. But let us see the principles of your word. And most of all, let us see the love of Christ, who alone can deliver us from want and fear and grant us the confidence and joy that he alone can give. In his name, amen. Have you come to trust in Christ as your Savior? If not, I would urge you right now to place your trust in him. You see, no government can do for us what Christ has already done. Only Jesus Christ offers the free gift of eternal life. Only Christ lived a perfect life and then died on the cross to pay for our sins and purchase us a place in heaven. No one else in all of human history died so that sinful people like you and me could be saved. In fact, all other religions require their converts to work to be good enough and to gain paradise. Only Christianity has a living God who sent his own son to die for the sins of humankind. And incredibly, he offers forgiveness and salvation as a free gift. If you would like to receive this gift, we can go to God together in prayer right now, saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and could never be good enough to deserve or earn a place in heaven. Please forgive my sins of thought, word, and deed. Cleanse me and make me brand new. I place my trust in you alone for the free gift of eternal life. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer and meant it. 
If you did, then you have begun an amazing journey. And to help you in this new walk of faith, we would love to send you Beginning Again, a book written by Dr. Kennedy for new believers. Just write to the address on your screen or call our toll-free number and ask for Beginning Again. And may God richly bless you. As Dr. Kennedy concluded, it is time for us to stand up and say, we want true religious liberty and true financial liberty as well. We speak here just days before the election. How many Christian ministries on television are speaking out with biblical truth on socialism and other major issues facing our nation as we go to the polls? D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. And we are, by the grace of God, having an impact. In recent months, we've exposed censorship against Christians and conservatives on the Internet, pushed for the nomination of a constitutionalist to the Supreme Court, and evaluated the transgender phenomenon in our culture by a biblical yardstick. And we are training leaders in the Constitution, a Christian worldview, and practical governance through our D. James Kennedy Center for Christian Leadership. Most importantly, we proclaim the gospel week after week using this broadcast megaphone that God has given us. But we can't do all of this alone. It is expensive to produce and air programs like this to a nationwide audience. We really need your help to do this vital work. If you are able to give a generous donation, we will thank you by sending you the incredible leather-bound D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069, or go online to djkm.org. This study Bible is like no other, with hundreds of articles pulling together Dr. Kennedy's biblical analysis on questions like, does the Bible teach socialism? What's the difference between Christianity and Islam? Are there good reasons for believing in Christianity? The D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible answers questions like this as well as hundreds of others, alongside the biblical text of the modern English version of the Bible, an updated translation using the King James manuscript tradition. It even features an entire section from Dr. Kennedy dealing with objections to the Christian faith. The D. James Kennedy Topical Study Bible is literally the culmination of Dr. Kennedy's nearly 50 years of teaching and preaching. And it will be our gift to you as our thanks for your generous donation to help us broadcast truth and the gospel to our culture. Again, simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069, or 
go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.